around the world are tuning in to We Show, Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. This is the Queen Quet Head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad to be the host this one more again for Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. This year, the way we give upliftment to the living legacy and appear ancestral homage. So we're so glad to be here for having a chance one more again with dedicate this year program and things like that to we ancestors them. What we've done, crossover and things like that. And we want especially dedicate this year program to seed men to their ancestor them. We've been part of founding the schools and thing. Right your pun these your Sea Island and thing back on the in the eighteen hundred. Even while I've been on sea, reading and writing a thing, even before the legal for we African tell anything like that. We been know that we had some people who've been here and who've been here. So we want on the children to take a moment of silence for all of them. Ashe, 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 Amen. So glad that Hunter Children are tuning in one more again for this year Black Philanthropy Month series where we got the going on right here upon We Show, Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. And we're so glad that so much of different people and things like that are taking what we to tell them and making sure, say, you give this year month and things like that. And we hope, say, you wouldn't just give this year month and then stop like that, but that. You will have plenty of things in your heart for going on and get all through the year. And so we will make sure that plenty of hundred children 
No. So without understanding how what is going on, it can't count anything like that. They're doing this and they ain't going to do honey much good any. So you have to get some money. So for all the honey telling what can't stand when they crack with eat like this year, because you're not get to learning in this year, but you learned more in this language here, I will share in this way throughout the rest of the episode for the most part. And so it's interesting that since our last broadcast, I've been reading a book that I bought some time ago called Black Titan about A.G. Gaston, who was a black millionaire in the U.S., but that had connections in particular to us because of the fact that he was part of his story, our story, our legacy in Mississippi. And I find it very, very interesting to look at the various dynamics of his life as well as his overlap in his life with people such as Booker T. Washington that many of us have only read about of course, because he was born way before any of us were born, but also because many of us read Booker T. Washington's life story with Up From Slavery and have read some of the speeches and the other things. And many of you who are intellectuals will, of course, say yes, and you've also read a great deal, and some of you have even debated the controversy between W.B. Du Bois, or Du Bois, and Booker T. Washington with the couching of the black advancement being either through the talented tenth, as Booker T. Washington, as W.B. Du Bois would believe, or the casting a bucket down where you are, philosophy of Booker T. Washington. Well, none of that really has any real merit in terms of the context of what we're talking about here in the sense of whether you side with one side or not. That part has no relevance tonight, has no real relevance in terms of the overall discussion except for what both men ultimately thought could be beneficial by either one of their methods being utilized. One, Booker T. Washington, believing in gradual progress for people of African descent at the end of the U.S. Civil War, entering into the period that we are now commemorating 150 years of here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, the Reconstruction Era. And you had Du Bois, who was the first black person to graduate with a Ph.D. from Harvard University, Ivy League. Myself being an Ivy League grad, I understand, I respect that. But his position was that it was that road that the black community would need to travel, having this talented tenth that was highly educated with college degrees, how that was going to then benefit us in a more immediate fashion than this laborious tradition that Booker T. Washington was talking about, which I really think was couched in where they both had grown up, what they both had seen, also where they stood in life literally and figuratively. I believe that that is part and parcel to both of their decisions as to why one felt you use this route and it will help us in the long run, why another felt, no, we can speed up, the time of the upliftment of our community if we use this other route. Well, in either case, I feel that the only ones of either group that benefited our communities were those who were not selfish and self-centered, 
So whether it was those who casted their buckets where they were and continued in menial tasks like the cooking, the house cleaning, the being butlers, even those who worked on the railroad systems, laying tracks, later becoming Pullman porters, whether they had those jobs that people felt at that time were the jobs for blacks and that you were not supposed to actually be a professor and to be teaching anyone. So wherein if it were those who had those jobs who worked and then saved their nickels, dimes, pennies, and quarters and was able to purchase land, purchase then houses, be able to self-sustain through what they were able to do through their labor, or the ones who went off to colleges and universities who eventually were blessed to go into HBCUs or other places that would hire them to actually teach someone, or who became school teachers who were somewhat the upper echelon of the black society at that turn of the century, wherein school teachers in America get paid very little now. They were considered the upper class at such a time as this because they weren't doing menial work. They weren't doing hard labor. They were using their minds to actually make money. And so here it is that the school teachers and the professors and so on, again, if they benefited the community at all, it was only those who gave back once again that were the ones that truly benefited the community. And that has not changed. As far as I'm concerned, if we're going to couch arguments about which route is better to take in any era of time, it all has to do with what you do, what you've taken the route, which direction do you turn once you've walked a particular path. Do you turn back towards your community or do you turn away from your community? That's the thing that we must keep in mind. And so as we talk about Black Philanthropy Month, this is a critical part because I thought about it and I realized how many times I have come across Booker T. Washington's name and how many different ways I've come across his name, especially in reading the histories of black people and the history of schools and education throughout the South, and then reading about various people who became millionaires during that era of time and how they got inspiration from hearing him speak, from being in his presence from reading up from slavery like I got inspiration from reading up from slavery when I was back in elementary school. Looking at him talking about casting your buckets where you are, I hear Elder Carleytown, our Minister of Information, repeat that often. And what she means by it and what I take from it is simply the same thing that I was raised to believe. Charity begins at home and then goes abroad. Meaning, do your work at home first. Build up what you can. Make your household, your family, your community the best that you possibly can. Then go out and expand out to others. Because, see, once you've already done it here, then you've taken care of your own. Then you go out and take care of others. It's similar to the airplane. When they tell you put your oxygen mask on first 
if the plane starts going down, then you can assist others with this. Because if you don't have your mask on, you could turn around and die. You have no help to anybody else. And once you have your mask on properly, then, of course, you know how to do it. You can help someone else put theirs on properly. But if you've done nothing at home, going elsewhere to then throw up a smoke screen, you know, oh, this is what I want to do, that I want to do, but then never helping at home, it seems truly contradictory to go elsewhere and help others and never help anyone at home. So when we start talking about philanthropic endeavors, I could look to the writings of so many people wherein they mention what they got from up from slavery or what they got from Booker T. Washington's philosophy, and I can look to the institutions and the businesses and the legacies that they left behind that were very beneficial to the black community, wherein I think about the various things. I've read the souls of black folks and the other things, and I think about the fact that Du Bois wrote and he left us writing. But I can't think of a building he left us or a business he left us. So it's very interesting because it causes me then to think about that context when we talk about celebrating something like Black Philanthropy Month, that once again, we are in an era and an age where many people will say, I support what you all are doing in the Gullah Geechee Nation. And they can tell me how often they read the postings on social media, how they retweet them, how they follow the videos on YouTube, or they listen to this show, Gullah Geechee Written Radio, and I pray that more and more continue to listen and click and all of that and share. However, I always ask, well, well, have you contributed yet? And more often than not, the person stops in their tracks because they know they haven't. They've tuned in, but then after, they tune out. So they don't give financially to the cause or they don't physically come down to any of the activities and then purchase an item or go to a Gullah Geechee-owned business or anything, but they like hearing what we're saying. And some, let me know, they're inspired by what is said. And so at least if they can say to me, I haven't gotten to you yet, but in my community I've taken what you put forth as an example, and I'm now doing this right where I am in my community, I respect that and I appreciate it. But when they just look at me like a deer caught in the headlights and say nothing, that concerns me. Because now, once again, what legacy do you leave? Do you leave us just words? Or do you leave us something institutionalized that someone else can benefit from in the future? So having gone through many, many years of education, many, many years of owning my own business, I've been asked to sit on boards locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, and it's been very intriguing to see how each board has its own nuances, of course, because we have different personalities on every board, and also depending on the focus, the mission of the particular entity, will determine the types of personalities that you come in contact with and even their vantage point, how they view what is important, how we should handle a particular issue or matter at a given time, what do they feel is the next thing that we should be looking at 
so on and so forth. Well, it's been very interesting because several of the boards that I sit on, I've moved from a regular board member, a steering committee member, a founding board member, to being a regular board member and then moving to the advisory board. And sharing expertise but still always contributing financially. Because if you believe in something in your community, there are many ways to give. And the work, the wealth, the wisdom are ways that you can give that will ultimately benefit sustaining institutions forever for generations to come. So when I look back over stories of A.G. Gaston and Booker T. Washington and the people who were benefactors who gave to the schools that they went to or the schools that they created and built up, and I look at the fact of the many times I've went to Tuskegee Institute and spoken there, and I, every time I go there to speak, I always still go back to the museum, the interpretive center, one might say, and I love to watch the video again about the founding of the school, and I love looking at the things that George Washington Carver was able to do there, and I've even gone to where George Washington Carver grew up in Diamond, Missouri years ago and visited that property and realized how similar it was to where I grew up, but how it was his gift of his mind and that wealth of wisdom that intrigued him enough to make him go out and figure out how to use basic things in our natural environment to create other things that could be beneficial, paints and all kinds of things. And so here it is in our Gullah Geechee Al-Kebulan archive. I've collected many of the booklets that he put together about various uses of the sweet potato and various uses of the peanut that everybody knows about, right, and so on, so that these are things that, once again, another generation can have. These are part of a legacy that George Washington Carver left us, but where was he, Tuskegee Institute, two black men working together to help other black men and women achieve their dreams and their goals. But all the people who founded these schools that are now considered historically black colleges and universities or they gave money to them were not all just black people. They were not all people of African descent. You had a variety of people that contributed to these institutions. You have a variety of people that have a mindset that said, well, it is going to be beneficial if we help these people in their own cause, which is to be educated and to educate their children, that if people have an education, they have opportunities that they can even create for themselves, and they have more of a chance to actually be a functioning member of society, as people would like to say it, a fully functioning member of society. And one of the things about it is that if a person is a fully functioning member of society that has vision and will act on that vision to bring it into reality, that person can be financially successful. And if that person is financially successful and they look back toward their community as opposed to looking away from their community, they can then generate more economic engines in their community. They can create the businesses and the cultural centers and the institutions 
that will be sustained again forever ad infinitum, that people will be able to go to and find employment and then also be financially stable and then be able to own land and houses and other institutions of their own, other businesses of their own, service companies of their own, and be able to still contribute back to the charitable organizations in their community by giving, again, their work, their wealth, their wisdom to those things. And so here it is with Black Philanthropy Month. It causes us in the, quote, global black community, end quote, to reflect on where do we put our money. There used to be a statement, put your money where your mouth is. But if you're not saying anything, then you putting your money there ain't doing anything either. But what are you speaking about? What do you have a passion about? What are you contributing to financially? Where does your money end up? That speaks volumes to what it is that is going to be sustained in and around you. So if we are talking about in the Gullah Geechee Nation philanthropy and the need for it, we have to stop being reactionary about it. I noticed that a lot of people in the Gullah Geechee Nation and people who say they support communities of the Gullah Geechee Nation are currently only being reactionary. A lot of fundraisers are going on in Charleston now at Emanuel AME or around Emanuel AME for Emanuel AME, and wherein before the Emanuel 9 was massacred there, God bless the dead, they had fundraisers going on and people weren't even paying attention. It was just every day, just on and on. I've seen the same thing happen with marches for Selden Park down in Brunswick, Georgia. As long as we're marching about something and it's on your mind and you think about it and talk about it for that day, you get 2 $3 out of people. You get $100 out of folks. But then as soon as somebody turns their head to look another direction at the TV or something, then they stop talking about that. Here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, I've seen outpourings when there are hurricanes and storms, and that's a great thing that people have a heart. But then why wait until something cataclysmic, something catastrophic has to happen before you say, I want to contribute to my own community? I want to contribute to this community that I feel has given so much to the world? that I may not be Gullah Geechee, but I'm on the Gullah Geechee Nation Facebook fan page every day looking and I'm sharing and I'm reading and I'm growing from it, well, then why not contribute without a catastrophe? So Black Philanthropy Month gives us an opportunity, if for no other reason, to say, well, you know what, I didn't hear this before. One of my closest friends just told me, I didn't know that's what the month is, but we donate things all the time. When I said, see, that tells me you weren't listening to the show. Because this is Black Philanthropy Month, and so we should take account of where we contribute. And if we don't normally contribute anywhere to a black charity, this would be an appropriate time to do so. So as we've asked people to go to GoFundMe and give to the Save Gullah Homes for Gullah Families, we've asked you to go to GoFundMe and give to the Save Gullah Geechee Land. We've asked you to join the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, which sponsors this broadcast, which you can find at gullahgeechee.net, G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E dot N-E-T. 
We've also asked you to go to the Gullah Geechee Angel Network dot com, Gullah Geechee Angel Network dot com, and to give there as well. So with the Gullah Geechee Angel Network, it is five hundred one c three, a nonprofit tax deductible contribution. We've asked you to give to all of these as the primary ways that you can contribute directly to the work and the effort of keeping people on their land and keeping the institutions going here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. But also tonight want to mention another project that has been going on for some years that is near and dear to me and many of you who watch TV. And if you haven't ever watched it, go to YouTube and you can type in Gullah Geechee TV or go to G-U-L-L-A-H. G-E-E-C-H-E-E dot TV, and you can link to our shows there as well. There is a museum called I Am, the International African American Museum, that we are building at the site of Gaston's Wharf, Arrival Square, the place which all Africans that were brought in through Sullivan's Island, Seoul, and then brought to the peninsula, that is now Charleston, South Carolina, and sold there in the streets and in the markets. They came through Gaston's War first off the Charleston Harbor and then was walked down the cobblestone streets and sold in various places. The old Slave Mart Museum is a latter-day enslavement market in Charleston. But in the earlier years, sales were done in various areas right in the street all over the peninsula. A Gaston Wharf was a major holding spot that was a link between bringing them over from Sullivan's till you got brought out to be sold on the block itself. And so if you've ever come to the Gullah Geechee Nation International Music and Movement Festival, which will be back in Charleston once again the first Saturday in August of next year, and you can go to info for details, that is the site of Gaston's Wharf where you see us drumming and where we do libation ceremonies, that is the site. And that is also where the International African American Museum will be built. So if you go online to org, please contribute to the International African American Museum this month. Now, many of you will probably be the same as I am, a charter member of the National Museum of African American history which is being built and culture which is being built in Washington, D.C., which is to be the final museum directly on the mall and is a part of the Smithsonian that's being built there and, God willing, will open next year in 2016 as well. I pray not during the same time that we have our festival. I pray that Brother Bunch keeps that in mind when they set the date. And so... Many of you may have already contributed to that, and that is excellent. But we also need folks to contribute to the International African American Museum because it will tell a story that cannot be told in D.C. effectively. There's going to be a lot of Gullah Geechee items that are part of the museum in Washington, D.C., but you can't walk out the doors of that museum in Washington, D.C. and walk into the streets and then talk to Gullah Geechee people while they actually are on their own land that they own that their ancestors had been brought to and had been enslaved on but then turned around and bought when? 
during the U.S. Civil War and maintained it through the Reconstruction era and up to today. And so that is why we look for you to contribute to such a powerful institution as the International African American Museum. And if you do watch the Gullah Geechee TV broadcast about it, you'll get to see the various architects that have worked with us. You'll see Mayor Riley talk to me about the importance of it and board members such as Johnson Green, the artist who I've spoken to over the years, that we've all served on the board. We've all contributed money and intellect to this project. And if need be, I would be out there with a shovel or out there helping them lay the bricks too the moment that we go ahead and break ground because that is how important I find this institution, this living facility that would tell our ancestors' story to be. And that is also why I contributed as a charter member to the one in Washington, D.C. So, again, all of this has to do with black philanthropy because philanthropy is the desire to promote the welfare of others via uh, the generous donation of money to good causes. A philanthropic institution or charity is one that does just that. Most of them have a specific focus and they have a mission and they give to that only. Well, our mission and our focus here in the Gullah Geechee Nation is to keep we people upon the land and things like that. So we've asked you to contribute to that, but we also have to have places that tell our story and that help to educate the next generation on the importance of why they have what they have, live where they live, or can stay and sustain what they're able to sustain. And it goes back to much of what was taking place at the end of the U.S. Civil War, in most cases for black people in America, people of African descent in America who had previously been enslaved. During the Civil War, for many, they were trying to figure out what were they going to do next. How would they now survive? They could not make it necessarily all the way back to the motherland. Some were born here. They'd never seen the motherland, would have no regard for that. But they knew they would have to do something here to thrive and to survive, to be able to eat, to have shelter, and so on. Well, fortunately, during 1862, while the U.S. Civil War was still going on, Gullah Geechee's became massive landowners on these sea islands, became landowners of the very plantations on which they had previously been enslaved. And if at any point you go and you Google Queen Quet is property, Queen Quet reconstruction, black land ownership, these types of things, we've talked about many times here on this broadcast. And we'll continue to bring it up because we never know who is a new listener. And sometimes it just helps to remind people. But during the time of the war still happening, then the Emancipation Proclamation being read, but the war still not being over. And then in 1865, the war finally ending and Lincoln being assassinated not long thereafter. There was a whole period that opened up another set of doors. And that period of time was the Reconstruction Era. Now, for Gullah Geechis who'd already been on their land, any of the people who were here on these sea islands or in our peninsulas and townships like Savannah and Wilmington and 
Charleston, Jacksonville, that knew how to read and how to write, that in spite of the fact that it had been illegal due to the slave codes for people of African descent to read or write, they still started their own secret schools during chattel enslavement, but now didn't have to be so secretive about those schools. And so many of their own people were already the teachers to those who didn't know. Each one, teach one. Those who know, teach. Okay? And so here it is that we shared, again, wisdom. We shared a truly valuable resource with one another to help advance the race. And many of people that are listening, if you're as old as I am or older, you used to hear that. We need to advance the race. And they wanted us to do as well as possible because then all black folks, they felt, looked good, looked better, all are on the chilling and gwine up if one of we to gwine up. So you didn't want to pull each other down, but yet some people's egos and their mentality causes them to work against that. Now, fortunately, they taught who was teachable. And then schools started being built. And many of the schools during the Reconstruction era were started up by aid societies. There were burial aid societies, there were farmers' aid societies, there were benevolent groups, there were league league halls and legions and things like that that formed amongst people of African descent, especially throughout the Sea Islands. And many of you have seen me at the Seashore Farmers Lodge on James Island, that fortunately is one that is still in continuous operation. And on St. Helena Island, you have different leagues and women's auxiliaries, men's auxiliaries that still date back to the turn of the century and turn of the, the, the 1900s, that is. And so people would pool their money, pool their resources, pay their dues into an association or into a society. And then when they had needs, they could go there, and they had rules and regulations for how funds could be distributed to benefit others. Well, many of those societies were the ones that were benefactors to what became now known as one-room Negro schoolhouses. Those were some of the first sets of people that actually got lumber and the things together and built schools for much of our people are going. Now, we often talk about missionary schools like the Mather School and the Penn School that are here in Beaufort County or Dorchester Academy in Georgia and places like that, but we tend to discount or leave out our one-room schoolhouses that were started by other black people or larger school facilities that were founded by folks like where A.G. Gaston went to school with Miss Tuggle that she amassed all this money and then was able to have actually a campus for boarding and everything for girls and boys in separate facilities and how everyone at the school also worked the ground because most of the schools then had not only agriculture and trades but then reading, writing, and arithmetic. Why have agriculture and trades? Because your students can work this ground and feed themselves. That is still a life skill that you're giving them. They didn't call it that back then. But nowadays, people are going to colleges and paying to go to private schools to do this. 
We have people who are affluent sending their students, their children, out of their houses to go live on campuses where they have to work and chop wood and things like this. I have some of those schools that come and work with the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition and contribute their time and the energy and the expertise to our community. And they, they don't mind hard work because they do this at their campuses. But these schools were then self-sustaining. Now, many of the people coming out of enslavement, they realized very quickly that they needed formal education. They needed to know how to read and how to write because then they knew that this was something that had been taken from them, number one, because many of them and many of their ancestors had were literate. They could read and write in their own African languages, and some had already begun doing so in English, when these different bands came saying that they should not be allowed to do it. In fact, in Georgia in 1829, it became a crime to teach anybody who was enslaved to read, and there was actual legislation against literacy, in any of the black communities in Georgia. And why was that? Because, once again, if people were literate, if they could count, they could now run their own businesses, they could sustain themselves, they would not need to go to an Anglo person and say, well, what does this say? Can you read this to me? They also could reconnect with people because you could now write letters to your family. You could reconnect with others. You could now document your story. So all of these things were to keep people disconnected and disenfranchised. But fortunately, there were those amongst us who did learn to read and write, whether they learned from each other, who were other people of African descent, or they learned from some benevolent person of another ethnicity or another race that said, I still am going to teach you how to read. I will take this in my own hands and take my own life in jeopardy in my own hands just to teach you how to read or write because I don't think it's right that you are prevented from this. So today, when we start talking about our communities here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, we need to support educational institutions, schools, K-12, through or even Head Start through 12, but we need to start with nurseries. That is why annually the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition donates books. I go into schools and nurseries in the community and read to the students to inspire them to want to read like I did. That's how come I could read up from slavery when I was in elementary school because books were in my house, number one. There was libraries that I could walk into, number two. And then when I looked at those book covers, I saw people look like me, number three, and that's what made me pull those from the shelf and then read them. But if you don't even have a book in your house, all you have is a computer. And remember, I'm a computer scientist. I'm absolutely not against technology. But all you have is a computer and all you have is a cell phone in the house. Your child doesn't know what a book is. So you need to still physically buy books, honors our ancestors when we do. And if you find that there are literacy programs in the community that you can help with, spend some time and help some people become more and more literate. Donate financially to book drives in the community. Donate to your friends of the library programs if you have libraries in your community, which goes to the next place that I'd like for you to contribute to this month. 
St. Helena Branch Library that many of you have seen the video of the opening day of. You've seen photos of me taking groups on tour. Many of you have come here and gone on tour with me into the St. Helena Branch Library. We have a Fill the Shelves fundraiser going on for the St. Helena Branch Library. It is a baby. It's only roughly three and a half years old. And so at this point, all of the shelves are not yet filled with books. All of the shelves are not yet filled with even DVDs and so forth or audio books. So we need those filled. And so every dollar that goes into a green envelope at St. Helena Library helps to fill those specific shelves. Money that goes through the Friends of the Library is for the Friends of the Library, all of Beaufort County. So to earmark it specifically to St. Helena, there's a specific Fill the Shelves Drive. So if you're coming here to St. Helena Island, we'd love for you to stop in the library and give a donation to that. If you're not but you want information on how you can mail a donation into that, you can also email us to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com, GoGeeko at AmericaOnline.com. And so here it is that we have a consistent Gullah Geechee living history series, a living legacy series that goes on at the St. Helena Library with our partnership with the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition. Our next event will be September the 12th at the library from 1 to 4 p.m. And so it's free. It's open to the public. We want to be focusing upon the Gullah Geechee, the sea, and the family. And so it's going to be interactive, and we want people to come out. We're going to be doing a film showing. I'm going to do a historical musical presentation. We're going to have literature there, reading lists. We're going to have different books there and different things for you to interact with that deal with the waterways and how the waterways are part of Gullah Geechee traditions that we need to hold on to. Because when we are self-sustaining in the Gullah Geechee Nation, it's not just through these institutions and these buildings, but it's also through having the land and having healthy waterways. And when you have healthy land and healthy waterways, the people themselves can be sustained, and so that then they can be healthy enough to be in their right mind and physically conditioned enough that when you do have institutions to maintain, you have the people who have the ability to do so. They have the physical fortitude to be able to maintain these places. They have the mental fortitude and the education to be able to do so. And it's interesting because when I looked back, as I prepared for this show, I thought I'd Google, I'd Bing, I'd try to find out, see if anyone has put together even a list of schools that were founded by black people during the Reconstruction era in the South. Could not find it. If it's out there, it'll take me a long time to dig for it. Could not find it. But I found some other interesting tidbits about the Reconstruction era as well, that when even though in 1829, as I mentioned in Georgia in particular, that legislation was in place to make it illegal, make it a crime, to teach black people to read or write, or as they would say, Negro people at that time. And we know that during 1739, because of the Stoner Rebellion in South Carolina, you had the 1740 slave codes that evolved out of that. Later on, the black codes, they became during the Jim Crow era as well. And that spread all over the South. All of these things were to disenfranchise. 
But while there were those who were working to disenfranchise, there were those who were working to enfranchise. We had more people of African descent in Reconstruction, in the Congress of the U.S. during Reconstruction than you have today. And you had even the situation in Georgia where that ban on, there was legislation in 1829 to ban literacy. By 1865, the beginning of Reconstruction, there were 8,000 people who had taken to going to schools. And then eight years later, there were 20,000 students. So they continued to multiply the numbers of people that wanted their education, that were pushing for their education, that were fighting for their education, because even during that period, remember, as black people were building up institutions and, and buildings, there were people burning them down. Oh, that's right. It's 2015. We've had black churches being burned down. We've had HBCUs being shut down or being threatened to be shut down. Huh, 150 years. And as much as things have changed, they remain the same. And yet, there's no list. No one's keeping track to make sure that it's recorded and documented all that's been done on these sea islands, all that's done from Jacksonville, North Carolina, to Jacksonville, Florida, to hold on to, to fight for our institutions, to maintain them, to keep them open, to keep our organizations going. Because the people who do keep them going are the ones who are locally there. The same one who they're going to tell Hunter Chillin, say, we've been cracking and thing like that because we've been a crack, we eat like this year. The same ones who were not even allowed to go to many of these institutions because of the way we spoke, or that once we got to many of these institutions, we were harassed and harangued even by the other people of African descent who were the teachers because they did not know Gullah was a language because they themselves had not been educated that Africans had anything of any value to contribute, nor that here those so-called funny-talking Negroes were the ones who were the land owners around the area. But when we built the schools here, like on St. Helena Island with St. Helena School, on black-owned land with black teachers that then contributed their knowledge to us, their wisdom, their understanding to us, many people started to realize not only the value of education, but then the value of life skills, that you have land, you could live off of it. You can always benefit yourself from it. And you can leave this to your next generation as heirs, that you leave them a legacy. So with all of the institutions and the organizations that I've been mentioning during this Black Philanthropy Month, it is still the same journey for us. It is about being able to have people contribute to the institutions and organizations that are truly contributing to our community, that are building things that will educate people on Gullah Geechee culture in a way that respects Gullah Geechee culture. My mother was just horrified because a pastor at a major church had the audacity to tell the congregation just yesterday that people just need to master English and not the Gullah stuff. Well, look, I tell Hunter right now, go and run the wall and take the crack on the teeth in English and things like that. And highly feed Hunter chilling and things like that. Like the weird, if Hunter didn't know how to do this, yeah. Now, much of the world is about being international now. It's global industries out there. You need to be bilingual. You don't need to be monolingual. And half the world 
speaks English. They're not impressed with that. So they hear that from their own people. But what else can you do? What else can you translate? And what do you bring to the table? There's a great deal that Gullah Geechee's bring to the table and always have and brought to this land. That's why they were exploited, because of their knowledge. That is where the richness is. That is where the wealth is. And that is why that wealth was extracted from the motherland and then placed in the Sea Island soil. So let us not become educated fools like was expressed through this person who holds a doctorate degree to make such a statement. Let's not be educated fools. Let's not perpetuate another generation of ignorance against a cultural group of people who are thriving and surviving in spite of the genocidal attacks that have been made and are being made against us. Let us instead find the ways that each one can teach one how to continue powered, not denigrated, but empowered. Let us do like how these folks did and multiply these numbers of people that are not only going into educational systems, but building educational facilities and institutions that respect and appreciate your community and have these places be self-sustaining. Here it is that we talk about the Freedmen's Bureau, and yes, the Freedmen's Bureau came in during that Reconstruction era and in some cases gave money toward some of these aid societies that I mentioned earlier to actually help operate the schools, to actually allow these schools to now have some money in their coffers to pay teachers where people before were being philanthropic and giving. Now they could get some salaries. They even helped with renting buildings for school rooms when people were bursting at the seams to come out of these other places. They provided books and even transportation for teachers and superintendents of the schools. And then they offered military protection because why? Again, you had those who wanted to disenfranchise, who wanted to burn down these centers. And so trust me, there are those who don't want any of the places to be sustained that I mentioned. These saving these Gullah homes for Gullah families. They don't want the International African American Museum to be built. There are some that don't want the National Museum of African American History and Culture at, of the Smithsonian to be built. Can we allow them to win? I say no, we cannot. The same way Emmanuel AME did not allow the devil the disruptive energy, the negativity, the racism to win through massacre and genocide of Gullah Geechee people. So here it is that I see no greater or better cause that could promote the welfare and the well-being of Gullah Geechees than for people to contribute in a way that we can see, that we can physically see it, as opposed to just with, as we would say, we're on our mouth that you say you support, but then we don't actually see it because then we got 20-year funds that we still raising for the same thing where we need people to contribute right now. This month is a great time to do it. And so please, if you cannot find any of those GoFundMe sites, you cannot find those websites I named, if you missed them or you think you spelled them wrong or anything, just email us to G U L L. 
G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com, and the Gullah Geechee Sealand Coalition will definitely send you all of the links to the International African American Museum, the Gullah Geechee Angel Network, the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, which houses our Gullah Geechee Alkebulan archive, which is the only archive in the world totally dedicated to Gullah Geechee history, heritage, and culture, and where much of the literature that I use to research these radio shows comes from. And also, when you go to GoFundMe, look for Save Gullah Homes, and look for Save Gullah Geechee Land, contribute to both of those. And with the latter one, Saving Gullah Geechee Land, they will also have a booth or a table out at the Woodlands Club River Festival on the Friday of Labor Day weekend. So you can also bring a physical donation or contribution there and contribute. That will be outside of Black Philanthropy Month, I know. But what I say at the beginning of the show, donate all year long. This is just the time that we hope we spark everyone, all of our listeners worldwide, to say give. If you can, please give. And if you know others, tell them it's Black Philanthropy Month and that you want to contribute to a black cause, a black charity, a black community. You want to contribute to the well-being of some more black people. And we pray that those will be Gullah Geechee. And so definitely we appreciate everyone who has already donated, who's already contributed, those who've become members of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition over the past month, and those who have become members this month. We say thank you, thank you to all of Honachilla. And so I know with all of these other causes that are going on in the world, please, again, be proactive, not just reactionary. Build like all these ancestors thought about it and said, well, we could help generations to come if we build a place where they can be enfranchised, where they can be educated, and where they can be empowered. And here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, it is about self-determination and empowerment. And so we appreciate all of Hunter Chillin' Wada Yediwi and Ting Lagadere and Redawas Dem Wada Gee. And so tonight we want to say thank you, thank you to the listeners who are holding on the phone lines right now and those as well that have come in and out of the chat room this evening. We want to say thank you, thank you to all the Hunter Chillin' who download this show each and every week to your iPads and your tablets and so on and who subscribe to it on iTunes for free as well as those who listen in through blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah Geechee, G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E. There is no I in Geechee. I was just in the library and saw someone with a document he swore was right, and I could see that he did not have the slash in Gullah Geechee. He had a minor sign, which we don't use, the dash, and he also had an I in Geechee, but he's not Gullah Geechee, but he was writing something. And when I quickly gave him corrections, he couldn't say anything. And so here it is that this is why we need to make sure that we who know teach. And so I'm going to open up the phone lines in these last few minutes that we have left. If someone is out there and you have a question, you have something that you want to contribute, that's what we talk about tonight, you can call in the 347 324-3903-347-324-3903-914. I've been seeing you all evening right here. 914, I'm knocking at your door. Let me see if 914, if you got something for say the week. Good evening. 914, how honored to be? Good evening, 914-439.
Okay, guess 914. Just have one Yeti. We 319. We coming to Hunter. 319 573. How Hunter to be? I'm Good very evening. well. Thank you so much. Peace and blessings. Can you hear me? Hunter to call in from. I am calling from Iowa. Oh, really? I've been out there yes. some years ago to Ames. So how would things really? out there right now? Yeah. I never would have guessed you made it all the way here. I only have about eight of the 50 states that I have not yet been to, and they're all clumped together. So, yes, I have been to Iowa. So how are things out there? They're very well. I wanted to call in, and first of all, to say thank you so much. I recently learned about my Gullah ancestry, and it's been so informative and, and just a huge deal to me that you do this, and I really appreciate it. Um, my question is, uh, as someone living in Iowa, which is a state that is 1% black, um, it is sort of hard, even having gone out of my way to get higher education, to be seen as a person who fits in the role of, of management or of higher-level employment. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice either to be taken more seriously in that context or is there another way that I could contribute in the interim period where the finance does not necessarily meet the intention? Well, I can say this. In terms of the position you're in, many people of African descent have found themselves in that very same position, which is why even at the beginning of the show, if you heard me talking about this uh, decision, whether you go the talented 10th route or you take the cash your bucket where you are route, it really makes all the difference in the world which direction you face after you've taken either route, whether you face back to the community or away from it. Because more often than not, the reality is that racism still exists. And if you're a woman, it sounds like you are, we also have glass ceilings that still exist, where sometimes we've gone through all the channels, we've gotten all the degrees that were necessary, all the certifications. We may be the honor student, but the person that is actually interviewing doesn't respect that, and they will not hire you, they will not then promote you if you're in another position. And many times come to find out the reason is they may not have the educational background you have because they're afraid that if they promote you, you'll take their job, okay? So, Mm -hmm. one, I say to you, stay played up. That's number one. Number two, you don't have to remain anywhere where you don't feel respected. So I would advise that if you have other places that you can look and you can venture out, that is a better route to take. I would go right ahead and get my resume out here. And nowadays it's much easier to spread your resume out to a lot more places than, you know, a while back so that you can get your resume out there, make sure you have a LinkedIn page out there, and then start up something of your own. Whatever your expertise is in your field of study, make sure that you start something of your own. There has to be a unique gift or talent that you have that no one else in the world can bring it to the table the way that you do. And so if you do that, that will begin to generate income. It also will generate respect. And that's one of the things that I would definitely recommend that you do. And I know in the area where you are, it's so small. It also is about who you know. 
And so, again, you may have to get out here and start networking, going out to some functions until you meet some people who can open some of those doors for you or help you shatter that glass ceiling. But definitely email me because I'd like to chat a little bit more with you because I know our time is running out here tonight. But make sure that you email me to go geeko at AOL.com that I announced several times on the show and let me know how that's going and then we can, you know, elaborate a little bit more and maybe you can meet some of the people I know out there too in Ames and maybe that will help open the door for you too. Okay. Thank you very much, Queen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And we will say thank you, thank you to all the family, wherever Hunter to be, and thing like that. Hunter know who this shall to be. This the head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad he Hunter chilling, tuning in one more again to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. Hunter chilling, see you right back here next Monday and thing like that. We crack, we teach some more. This your Black Philanthropy Month. Make sure, think of not robbery, for make sure that Hunter gwine out into the community. And that hunter wine on and gee. Peace and blessing, everybody. This year the Queen Quit, head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. Thank you, thank you.